Okay, good morning, everybody. Welcome. So uh, the shir today <clears throat> is called Rachel's Disgrace and Yosef's Name. Okay. And it really is, um, got started by, and I learned it through Rabbi Weiss from Seattle, a little bit about um, the naming of Yosef. But it ends up really getting involved in more of an overview, I guess, of Rachel's life. Okay, and you you might this year in theory could be called the uh, the tragic life of Rachel. Okay, but so so the um, just to get started, just a little bit of an overview. Again, my main focus is going to be on these pesukim, which involve the naming of Yosef, Rachel's first kid. But I think just some overview of the life and the basic storyline would be uh, helpful, and maybe we'll come back to depending on time time permitting, we may come back to some of these points. So. As you know, Yaakov um, went to the house of Laban to find a wife. And sure enough, he went to the well, which was a standard place to get a shidduch back in those days. So, um, so sure enough, when he, um, he saw Rachel, right, basically, it seems like he fell in love with her, he saw her, and it says... Um, the Pasuk tells us that he kissed Rachel and he, this is in Chavtas Yeralef, okay? When he saw Rachel, he, he kissed her and he lifted up his uh, voice and he cried, okay? And he introduced himself, fine. So, um, so there's an interesting Rashi which tells us, well, why did he cry? It's a funny response. He saw Rachel, seemingly this is he wanted to marry her, but, um, but he lifted up his voice and he cried. Why did he cry? So I guess the plain shot is that he's crying because it's like tears of joy, something to that effect, right? This is who he wants to marry, he's excited and all that. But Rashi says a very strange thing. It says, He saw, he saw in Ruch HaKodesh that they're not going to be buried together, that she's not going to come with him to be buried. And as we know, if you go, you'll see Yaakov, but you won't see Rachel, you see Leah, right? So it's saying is at this moment he saw in Ruach Hakodesh that they're not going to be buried together, and that's why he cried. So it's strange, strange thing to. That's the momentary, the moment they meet, he kisses her and he cries that they're not going to be buried together. Is he had some sort of an insight in the Ruach Hakodesh or something to that effect? So um, it would be nice if we could understand what that is, right? Okay, fine. So we'll get back to that. So then, sure enough, they got introduced, and. Um, so then Lavan said, so you could work for me, but what are your wages going to be? So then sure enough, Lavan had two daughters, Leah, the older one, and uh, Rachel, the younger one. And Leah was, her eyes were not so beautiful. And Rachel, she was very, very beautiful. And Yaakov loved Rachel. And he says, I'll work for her. Okay. And sure enough, as we know what happened, that was the deal. But then when it came to the final of the night, the wedding night after the seven years, so um, Lavan did a switcheroo. And he basically sent in Leah, right? And as Rashi has all tell us that there were these simanim, special signs that Yaakov and Rachel made up to make sure that she's getting, he's getting the right uh, daughter. But out of, I guess, compassion for her sister, Leah, Rachel revealed those signs to Leah. And Leah ended up um, passing off as being Rachel. And Yaakov didn't realize until the morning. So due to um, Rachel's uh, extreme kindness, extreme kindness and concern for her sister, 
she's allowing her sister to marry her uh, husband who she's in love with, right? Which is an unbelievable act of uh, kindness. Think about it. So sure enough, and then uh, in the morning when Yaakov noticed it, so he complained to Rachel and uh, to Lavan, and sure enough, the deal was to finally get married above. Okay, and, and he knows the story. Okay. So then, then and Yaakov basically loved Rachel more than Leah. Okay, he hated Leah, or certainly loved Rachel more than Leah. And, um, but... Uh, Hashem saw the Patel, Hashem saw that Leah was hated, and um, he made he opened up her womb. But Rachel remained barren, and as we know, Rachel had many kids. Okay, she had six sons and a daughter. Okay, Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, Zachar's woman. Right. So, um, so sure enough that so what happened. So there's, there's an interesting, there's a few stories, a lot of points along the line. So well, one thing which happened after four sons, after basically Rachel, uh, Leah, her fourth son, Rachel saw that she wasn't having any kids. So she got jealous of her sister. And she said to Yaakov, give me children, give me sons. If not, I'm going to, I'm a Mesa. Am I in Mesa? Give me kids. Right? Give me kids. If not, I'm going to die. Right? Which is a funny thing. What does that mean? Rashi says it means daven for me. Ramban says daven, like put it all out on the line, but davening. This is like, I need you to daven like there's no tomorrow, like your father did. So Yaakov says back to her, he gets angry at her, he says, Am I in place of Hashem? Who withheld children from you? Right? So Rashi says, Listen, it's not me. He's withholding it from you. My father, he didn't have any kids. I already have kids. From Leah, I just don't have from you. So you're the one who has to uh, work on yourself here. Right, which seems harsh. It's really putting it in our place. Fine. So there's a Ramban, maybe we'll get to Ramban explains a little bit. So um, so sure enough, sure enough, so Rachel took the hand and she realized, as Rashi tells us, that when you, when um, Sarah didn't have kids, ultimately what she did is she gave over Hagar to, for Avram to build a family from. So she realized that's maybe a good idea. So she gave Billa over, her handmaid Billa, over to Yaakov to marry. And this way she felt she would at least secondhand, in a secondhand way, be able to be involved in building Israel, even if not through her own. And sure enough, she ended up having uh, two sons, Don, Don and Naftali. Okay? So then, okay, so then one other story along the way is, uh, so then what happened was, Reuven, and then in Parakat Ravi, in Lamed Yadalit, it tells us that Reuven went in the time of the, uh, you know, whatever. Basically, he found the Dudaim, flowers, however you want to call them, found these flowers in the field, and he brought them to his mother. And Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of these flowers. So, Rachel, Leah was not happy. She says, is there one thing you're taking my husband, but now you also want to take the flowers of my son? Right? So Rachel says, okay, fine. So we'll make an exchange. You give me the flowers and I'll let you sleep with Yaakov for this one night. Okay. So sure enough, uh, they did that. And Rashi tells us that, uh, that because of this night, first of all, Raza, Leah was Zoha that night that she ended up having uh, another kid. And that was Yisachar. That very night, the be of that very night. There was like a schar that she was... Um, I guess giving up her flowers to be able to be with Yaakov. And it tells us also more, more, I guess, importantly for us here is that 
it says because of the fact that Rachel was Mizalzel, made a light of sleeping with this tzaddik, she wasn't Zilcha to be buried with him. Once again, that theme, which happened the very first meeting, Yaakov and Rachel Kodesh said they weren't going to be buried together. And now it seems like Rashi is connecting it because she was Mizalzel, that she was willing to trade sleeping with Yaakov for this one night for the flowers. Therefore, she wasn't Zilcha to be buried with him. Okay. Fine. And uh, then, so that would be nice to understand what's the what's the correlation? Why is that the cause of not being buried with them? And what's the whole, you know, the whole story is interesting with the flowers. What's, the, what's going on there? And then, finally, finally, let's get back. Now let's focus focus on on these two second which we're up to now. Okay, so that was like background. So, Parak Lamid Pasig Chafes. Okay. So, it says, Vayiz Rachel. Okay, so Hashem remembered Rachel. And Hashem listened to her. And opened up her womb. So what does it mean she, Hashem remembered Rachel? So Rashi says two things it tells us. Two things he remembered. So first of all, so to speak, Hashem remembered that Rachel gave her simanim to her sister Leah and allowed her to marry her husband. Right? She gave the Simon that great act of kindness. And also, and that she was in pain. She was pain. Maybe she'll end up going to the lot of Esau. Right? Maybe Yerachel is going to end up getting married to Esau. Maybe Yaakov is going to divorce her. Because she doesn't have any kids. Right? So she was worried. She was in pain. Maybe that's what's going to happen. Maybe Yaakov is going to divorce her because she doesn't have any kids. And she's going to marry uh, Esav. Esav also thought that might happen. It's a piyad in the Rosh Hashanah davening, which says, Esav heard that she wasn't having kids, so he desired to take her, and she was frightened. She was shocked by that. Okay, so that's uh, shocking here. She was pained that maybe Yaakov was going to divorce her, and she was going to have to end up marrying Esav. Strange. I mean, why did Yaakov get a divorce? Or he loved her. He loved her more than uh, Leah. He was, uh, she was his primary wife. It's true, she doesn't have kids, but just divorce her. And then she's going to go marry Esau. Why would that happen? Right? Strange. And Leah, Esau also thinks that's going to happen. Okay. And what's the connection? It's funny. Rashi has these two things. She remembers, first of all, that she gave this imanim to her sister. And secondly, that she's worried about this Esau. Is there any connection between this two? Okay. So then, sure enough, Hashem listened to her, listened to her tefillah, and opened up her womb. And she uh, got pregnant and had a son. Okay. Hashem was Asaf, which we'll translate in a second, my good, my disgrace. Okay. Fine. Lamar and she called him Yosef, saying, Yosef Hashem Li Ben Acher, let Hashem please um, increase for me another son. Okay. So so this is the two things she said. Asaf Elokim Pasi. Right? Hashem should, we'll see in a second, hide my disgrace. Hashem has hid my disgrace, and Hashem should increase for me another son. Okay, and the Rashbam says, I think it's kind of shot in the Pasuk. But it's like the, there's two interpretations, two, two, 
factors which go into the name Yosef. Asaf, Elikim Ezcharpasi, and Yosef Hashem Ben Acher. And the Rashbam says it's based on both of them. Asaf and Yosef. Because if you want to call them, you could have called them Asaf. But Yosef, it's like the combination of these two ideas. So what are these two things? Again, these are two statements which she made which are both contributory to her name, the name of this child being Yosef. So what is the first one? Asaf, Rashi says, See, he brought, he hid, brought in my cherpa, my disgrace, to a place where it's not going to be seen. Okay? It means, and Rashi said some other psuk, and then it means like to hide. Hashem has hidden my disgrace. And what's my cherpa, Rashi? That I was a disgrace. Shani akara. That I was barren. That's a disgrace. Right? And you think you could have stopped there. That's a disgrace. She's, after all, she's a wife of Yaakov and she's barren. And that's a disgrace. It's an embarrassment. Other person learned that way. That that's just what the disgrace was. The disgrace was that she's in Akara. But, Hirashi continues. And they said about me. They said about me. I would end up going to the portion of Esau Harasha. Right? And that was her disgrace. The disgrace was that she was going to the portion of Esau Harasha. As, as I said earlier, that was why Hashem, one of the reasons Rashi said why Hashem listened to her, because he saw her pain that she was going to go to Esau. So this was like a rumor on the streets, and it was very disgraceful to her that she was going to go to Esau Harasha. And now that she had a kid, apparently that was not going to happen anymore. Because after all, the, the reason why she'd go to Esau, as Rashi said earlier, is because she doesn't have any kids. But now she does have a kid. So now her disgrace is removed. You'd think. You'd think it's removed. But it doesn't quite say removed, right? Other Mepharshim, I think the Ibn Ezra interprets it means Ta'asaf is karas, it's cut off. But Rashi doesn't say that. It says my disgrace is hidden, brought to some sort of place where it's no longer seen. So, um, so, so I'd like to understand why is it, if the whole disgrace was because of the fact that she was barren and she didn't have any kids and now and she might go to Esau and now she's that's no longer going to happen she's not barren she's not going to go to Esau so it should say Rashi should learn that how my disgrace is cut off is removed why is it saying my disgrace is hidden 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 sounds like it's still there it's just hidden it's not in plain sight right why should that be and um <clears throat> okay and this is apparently a Shabbat Hashem that Hashem did this and then Rashi adds in a very strange, very strange um, uh, midrashic interpretation, okay, which uh, says like this: Kolzma medrash agada kolzma she'ain leisha bain. Any time that a woman doesn't have a son, ain la b'milat dalserchona. She has no one to blame for the things that get wrong, go wrong, right? She has no one to blame for the the mishaps. Mishiyesh la ben when she has a son tola she'll hang it on him. Mishaver kliza. The husband will say, who broke that clay, that vessel? Then, eh, your son broke it. Mi achal te'enamelu. Who ate those dates? Those, right? Who ate those um, those figs? Then, eh, your son. Your son, right? So that's what she's saying, is that Hashem gathered in her cherpa because a, a woman who doesn't have children has no one to blame when the dish breaks or someone ate the figs. Right, but now, now she has someone to blame. Right, now she has someone to blame. She's got a son, so that's odd. Right, it's odd. 
that's Tarkhapa, that's what she's, um, you know, funny type of uh, idea. And that's what's the name of Yosef, is that now she has someone to blame. Yeah. Right? It also just sounds dishonest. Yeah. You know, if she broke the cleave and saying it was him is mm-hmm. just lying. Yeah, right. It's true. It does sound like that. Obviously, right. Isaac doesn't know anything about Shalom bias. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till you get married, Isaac. You'll learn. Right. Right. The question is, who did break it? If you're saying the kid broke it, then fine. Then when she's single and she doesn't have a kid, then no one's breaking it. Right? There's no problem. Now you're breaking the thing. So it must be that she broke it. So when she's when she is before she didn't get she had no one to blame. Now she has no one to blame. So is that the point? Shalom bias? Okay. Here. You can't argue with that, Les. Okay. Uh, so as a question, are you taking the Ramban's reading, which seems to be based on Uncleus, that it's gathering up like almost a display of the disgrace? No. Okay. No, Rashi. Rashi is like it's hiding it. It's in a place where it's not seen. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then Rashi, then the next one, and then she said, Yosef Hashem li ben Acher. So she said, Davening to Hashem that he, she should increase to me another son. So I think the plain shot and the kasha in this whole plus, like, is one more son? Why is she only Davening for one more son? Shouldn't she say, Yosef Hashem li banim acherem? Right? More children, more sons. Right? So Radak interprets, it means at least one more son. At least one more son, if not more. Right? Yosef Pachos Yeli Ben Acher. Yosef, if not more. Right? So, of course, she doesn't mean, which is funny though, because I want to just say, I don't know, well, at least one more son. What's different than at least one more son? Just say, sons. It's not really clear why I need to limit it at one. Just say, more, the Shem should increase for me, sons. What's this? One more son, or at least one more son. But Rashi says, quotes Chazal, that no, the, the, the news from Nevoa, that Yaakov was going to only have 12 shvatim. This was a Nebuah, which they know. And they already were 11. So her tefillah was, Yiratzon Yamimani, that this final shave would be from me. And that's why she only dubbed him for one more son. Because that's it. There's only one more available. <coughs> yeah. Okay. Which is, is interesting. So I guess, uh, what's this shot? And what's the, is there any connection between these two interpretations of the name? Asaf and Yosef. Right? Hashem gathered in my disgrace and Hashem should increase another son for me. Yeah. Okay, so, so that's basically, I mean, the main, I guess the main question I have, sort of the starting starting question, the strongest question, which is the strangest thing, is that this whole idea of her marrying Asaf seems to be like a major factor going on here. Right? Major factor of her disgrace that she's people are saying that she's going to marry Esau, Yaakov's going to divorce her, and Yaakov himself might divorce her, and that's why she's suffering. The whole thing sounds uh, strange. What's the basis for, for upon which Yaakov, Yaakov would divorce her? And upon which she ends up marrying Esau? Seems to be like a far-fetched thing, but it doesn't seem that far-fetched. That's why Hashem, I remember her to Rashi, that's why Hashem listens her tefillah. And that's why she was named the name is corresponding to this idea. Right? Yeah. Okay. So, um, okay. Any other questions? Anyone else have any other questions on uh, anything uh, that we've done here? This is all the information which we're going to cover. 
Um, w- one question. Do other Mephorshim connect the Asaf from the previous verse to the naming of Yosef? Because it's not, like, I, I see why you're saying it. They sound very similar, but, you know, simple shot is Asaf was what they said in the previous verse, and this one is Yosef, that I should add another son. I'm just wondering if anyone says that. Yeah, so the Rashmam says it. He says, Yosef, al Asaf so, you know, Rashi doesn't clearly tip his hat on that one, but it seems reasonable. I mean, it could just be a coincidence that the words happen to be so similar. But, you know, the Rashbam, if I only had Rashi and I didn't see the Rashbam, I was wondering. It's, you know, it does beg the question. You know, it's a question. Is it a coincidence? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But the Rashbam, you know, brings it out. And again, I'm not intrinsically, you know, forced to say it doesn't matter that much to me if they're the same, but it seems to me that they're, you know, close enough. And the Rashbam says it and no one seems to be arguing. So, you know, but whatever. If you don't, if you don't, if you don't think so, that's okay also. Okay. Either way, she said both. Either way, these are her two sentiments, which she's expressing right when she has this kid. So whether or not they're both part of the name or not doesn't matter all that much. Okay. Yeah, Rabbi Vader. Yes. I'm not sure I understand why either Leah or Rachel were worried about marrying Esau. I mean, even then, the woman had a right of refusal. They couldn't force her to marry someone they didn't want to marry. Yeah. So Leah had Leah had Rachel, uh, Rachel, and I am, you know, weak eyes, and Rachel was afraid of this. I mean, they still had the right of refusal. I, I didn't, I didn't understand that at all. I know. I know. Good question. Yeah. I know. You think you... Right. Good question. Why would you marry Esau? Right. I know. And Esau wants to. Okay, fine. But it doesn't mean you have to. Yeah. Okay, good. Good. Any other questions? Okay. So, <clears throat> so I'd like to take a look at a para, a pasuk and Barashas, Dalad Yadat. Hello, Fader. Yeah. Uh, I know Leslie's question, but why was Esav uh, presumably so interested in wanting to jump onto the Rachel bandwagon if she, would t- if she were to get divorced? I know. It's a good question. She was seemed to be very beautiful, but I don't know. Not, not clear. Or maybe from Yaakov. Good question. Good question. Why would he? Sounds like he was excited about that. Right. I meant to look. I just didn't get a chance to. But the, the Rashi quoted the the Pia in Rosh Hashanah Davening. I wanted to look at it. I just forgot. But it would, maybe, maybe it would be more insightful. You know, I don't know. I don't know. You know, it's like one of those. Yeah, I, have to, I don't know. Good question. Maybe, maybe we could explain it. It's on some level. Maybe we could we'll be able to explain it. But it's a very good question. Right? Do you think a lot of women in the world he needs to marry Yanko, the divorcee of Yanko? Uh, Why is that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, good. Okay, so Dalad Yatas. Bresh is Dalad Yatas. Okay. So um, after after I saw this pasuk, I noticed there's some, uh, or, I think it was Yaakov Mecklenburg, or Kasava Kabbalah reference drew this connection as well. So, but, uh, so it says like this. Vayikach lo Lamech. Shtei Nashim. Lamech took two wives. Shema Achas Adav Shema Shenes Tzila. 
Okay, two wives, Ada and Sila. Okay, this is way back when. Parshas Bereshis, leading up to the Dharmabal, right? So Rashi tells us, This was the way of the Dharmabal. Okay, this is what they used to do. They took two wives, one for Peruvu, one for procreation, yeah, and one for Tashmish. Okay? One for Peruvu and one, uh, one for pleasure. The one which was for Tashmish, she would they'd give a drink, a potion, which would make her sterile. So she'd be uh, she'd be barren, she'd be sterile. And she'd be adorned like a kala. And he'd give her treats. Take care of her. Take good care of her. Right? And her friend, the other wife, would be like spurned, like an almana, as if her husband died. Okay? Okay? So two wives, that was what they did. One was, uh, they took great care of, made her barren, took good care of her, gave her all the treats, really hung out with her. And the other one was totally rejected, just for kids. And Rashi continues, Ada, these are their names, Ada, he shall yeah, that was the one for kids. She was disgusting to him with Sarah's Mahatlo, and she removed him from him. Ada Tirkum Shal Sura. Ada means to like turn away, remove. So the the name actually means that remove. She's removed from him. Sila, he shall tashmishla. She's always in his shade. Sail is like shade. So Tsila is in his shade, and Ada is removed from him. This was part of the Darach of the Dharmabal. Okay. So the Dharmabal was a, um, you know, as we know, a corrupt, right, corrupt um, Dar, which ultimately was destroyed by the Kodesh And among other things, they were very, uh, they were promiscuous. Pasuk tells us they took women from wherever they chose, right, and they got involved in, uh, in Znos. Right, there's another Rashi, I think, Shema Noach tells us that also, that there's uh, Znos is, uh, is a big fact, even the Pasuk says Hamas, but there's a Rashi connected, and the Pesukim also connected. Okay, so um, so it seems like they were a society which was um, very much involved in promiscuity, sexual promiscuity. So one of this this thing which they did is they had they they knew they had they had two functions of um, of sexual. One was pleasure, and the other one was procreation. And they knew they wanted pleasure and they wanted kids. They were growing the world after all. So what they did is they separated them off. They had two wives and they took one wife, which was totally for pleasure. And they didn't want her to, to become pregnant. On the contrary, like a similar to like um, by the sons of uh, Yehuda, right? By Aaron Onan, that she'd lose her, she tells us thing, the Pasuk, that she's going to lose her beauty. They didn't want her to, to get pregnant on the contrary. They made her barren, and was totally always spent all his time with the one who was uh, Tzila, right? And treated her well. But then, after all, you're not going to have any kids that way. So that's perfect. So they had a wife for kids. And that wife would basically be totally for the sake of impregnating her and let her uh, raise the kids on her own. And uh, what do you need to be with her? Totally uh, reject her, throw her away. And this is a this is a solution for the Baltaiva. The Baltaiva wants to be able to be with his wife all the time. Doesn't want her to lose her beauty. Doesn't want to have to worry about her going to the children. Wants to be able to just have a total vehicle of his taivas. 
none of the um, practical tying down of a, of a woman with children. And the, the fact that it may impinge upon his um, physical pleasures. So they, they basically split off the two functions of a wife, so to speak, functions of a wife, the two roles that a wife could play into two different women. Okay. Now, this is the antithesis of the Yahadis. It's antithetical to the, our idea of, of marriage. In fact, the mitzvah in the, in the Rambam, he has the mitzvah of, um, you know, in Hilchos Ishos. So uh, as um, you're probably aware, the halachos of Puruvu find themselves in Hilchos Ishos, marriage. And uh, he's correct as well, and the Rambam has the mitzvah. So, Lika, Lisa, Isha, Bixuva, Vikidushan, Omishrim, the Kosaris. And um, and then he has Lifros Velirbos Mimana. Right? So he has marrying a woman and to have children with from her. So you see, having children, the way the Ram is formulating here, it's not just to have children, but it's to have children from your wife, from the woman that you marry. So we don't uh, believe in a separation of Taiva and uh, Bravo. On the contrary. We sublimate our type, but we realize that the the highest objective of the physical pleasure of the sexual act is the procreation, and the same woman who is uh, who you uh, you have who's your vehicle of pleasure is the woman who you're involved in building a nation and building Israel, building the world, and the sexual act is is a dual. As a dual, dual, um, two components, and they're they're unified. It's not just, and we don't have just the idea of pleasure for its own sake. But yes, there's pleasure, but ultimately the tachlis of the pleasure is that the woman who you're with is going to be the mother of your children, and together you're going to be building a bias, who's going to raising children and carrying passing down the mesora and building the world from 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 her, and. To separate the two off would be like making the physical pleasure like an ends in its own right. And that's not true. For us, the, the Kedusha, that's the, that's, the, that's the part of the Kedusha, is the Kedusha is that, on the contrary, the, the sexual is subordinate to the, uh, to the higher objective of procreation. And similar with eating. Eating, the objective of eating is for the sake of uh, nourishing us and being able to allow us to be able to continue and serving our Kedusha so that's the the idea. It's like part of the whole idea of kedusha, as on kind of stark distinction to the the, the Dharmabal, which is our idea of of, uh, of pleasure serves as directed towards a higher objective. Okay, Rabbi Seder. Yes. But if uh, let's say a woman is at an age of menopause, then the, the pure pleasure aspect is permissible. Correct. Yeah. I mean that. Okay. Good question. Yeah. So that's a that's a good question. I mean, I'm not saying that there's that it's prohibited to have a, an action of bia which can't have a child. That's not the Torah didn't set that up. But but that doesn't mean that's, that that's there's difference between how halachically this fills this. This is a philosophical idea. The objective of the physical pleasure is for the sake of uh, procreation. But that doesn't mean the Torah prohibited an individual action of bia which doesn't have a can't have a child. That's not the case. Although maybe a, a woman 
who generally, like for some want to say that that's why Nida, when a woman is a Nida, is when she's menstruating, she can't become pregnant. She can't become pregnant. So arguably, like there is the structure, the mitzvahs are set up in, to direct us towards that objective. But a given woman, first of all, even that woman is a woman who you did have children with, and she's part of your family, and she's arguably going to continue in raising your family, and having a good, healthy relationship is going to be vital towards continuance of the, you know, the Kali Yisrael. But, uh, but that's that's like a different like halachic point. But still, that doesn't mean once a woman hits menopause, now all of a sudden it's all about pleasure. And that's not, and that's the whole point. It's but halachically, it doesn't say you have to divorce your wife when she's in menopause. And it's the woman with whom you have a family. Now she's still permitted to you, and you still are continually involved in raising the family. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Thank you. Yes, but you know, again, this is a bigger topic. But obviously, this is one one direction. We're explaining the Torah's prohibition of homosexuality, which is again in this path, which is just totally making a, it's a sexual act, which is totally devoid of any um, any uh, ultimate purpose of uh, procreation. But again, these are big questions, and you know I don't want to. They're good, good questions, but this just this is this is the idea that Torah's attitude towards the physical, but then um, this was embodied the, the antithetical to that which is embodied by the Dharmaul. Okay. But it's central. The idea of the role of physical pleasure is like central to Kedushas Yisrael, right? In fact, the Kedushim view, Rashi says, the Kedusha of Kal Yisrael is that we're separated from Arayos and we're, um, we're removed from our, our sexual is under the, the, the control of our minds. And we, we our whole activity, our whole, the nature of our, um, of our physical pleasure is subordinated towards a higher objective. And we don't just have pure pursuit of taiva without any limitations. So, so, so what I'd like to suggest over here is that it almost looks like Yaakov, Bahavdil, Halila is doing this for this minute, right? He has two wives. One is beautiful, the other is not. One of which he's Rachel is his primary wife. He's always with her. His primary dear is with her. He fell in love with her at first sight. He saw her and he kissed her. And right, this is like the perfect uh, shirach match made in heaven. They're together. And Leah is not really beautiful. He doesn't really. He's since she's called Sinua, hated or disliked or whatever you want to however you want to describe it. Different portions are differently, but he's Leah is. Having children beyond belief, right? Six kids, seven, a daughter, right? Rachel is not having any children, right? It, it certainly looks like that Yaakov Avinu is taking up this minog, this ancient minog of the, the Ramabo, right? Which is obviously not true, obviously not true, but people are saying it. There's talk around town that this is the case, and people are saying Rachel. She's with Yaakov. She belongs with Esau. That's Esau's type of thing. Esau would be beautiful. great. He'd love to have a beautiful woman who's not having any kids. That's what he does. He'd love to have uh, as many of those as he could. That's Esau's up, uh, up his alley. But Yaakov? So that's what the, the, the word on the street was. This is not appropriate. Yaakov's going to hold on to this, this, uh, this situation. Is that what's going on here? Is that what Rachel is? Is Rachel the woman who he has for pleasure? And Leah is the one he has for the, for the kids? And 
the fact that Rashi says there's a cherpa that people were talking about, people were, this was, became a thing. People were expressing that. And it, it in a certain sense, paints Yaakov in a light which is antithetical to everything he stood for, which is a life of Kedusha, a life where the, the contrary, he's having multiple lives as a vehicle of building and having more, more children, but to have uh, just to stop and pleasure for its own sake is not what we stand for. And to, it got to the point that Yaakov was considering, it seems so, at least through Rachel thought so, considering divorcing her, right? And, and whether he would or would not, it would seem, would be based upon whether or not he could limit the damage or he could prevent that damage from occurring. Because if, if the bottom line impact is that people are going to look at Yaakov as a Balfaiva, as a person who's basically taking up that that emit that uh, minug of the ancient minug of the Dharma, pre-Dharma then he wouldn't have a choice but to watch Rachel. As sad as it would be. And as much as, uh, as terrible as it would be for the, the great Sadiq as Rachel, who had nothing at all, Yaakov and Rachel had nothing at this at all in mind. On the contrary, she was just barren. But he'd love to have children with her. And she'd love to have children with them. But uh, if this was the way it was going to be perceived, then it would then it would undermine Yaakov's mission. It would undermine Yaakov's identity as a Kadash. And he'd be coming presenting himself to the world as being the one who has a wife that Aesop should have. And he would have to end up divorcing her. And that was his uh, that was Rachel's fear that he was going to do that. Because uh, he may have to. And again, I don't know if he would have or if he wouldn't have. But I'd say if for sure, if that, if that would be the world would look at Yaakov moving, then he would have to. He wouldn't have a choice. This is what he's supposed to do. I mean, this is, this is the reality of the way the world perceives it. And after all, he's trying to teach the world uh, and ideas. And you have to take into account the, the fact that it's perceived that way. And she would be an unfortunate sacrifice. Rachel would have to be. I mean, right? as much as he'd love to be with her and stay married to her, and she's a tzaddikas and all that, and keep trying, but at the same time, it's, it doesn't, because of Leia in there, it's interesting, it's like because Leia is there, in a certain sense, create makes it worse. Now it looks like you've got the Leia Rachel pair of wives. Right? If Leia weren't in there, maybe it wouldn't have been as bad. But, and that's what it could be, it's saying is, Hashem is saying, the Pasuk says, Hashem saw Rachel, remembered Rachel. Remember that Rachel gave over the uh, Simana, and she allowed Leia into that. In a certain sense, the fact that Rachel's in this scenario was, was brought to its fullest extreme because of Rachel's sickness. Because of her righteousness that she gave over Leah, she kind of allowed this scenario to unfold. And now for her to end up getting divorced because of that, and now right, Leah's going to end up taking uh, Yaakov and she's going to be left uh, alone, that would have been uh, unfair. And now Zasham saw her plight and had mercy on her and, um, and gave her a gift. Okay, so that's so why I think it's it's important that that she's saying the cherpa was based upon what people are saying. I think that second Rashi, the first one, was just telling us that Yaakov was thinking about it, or um, she was worried. She was worried about it. But the fact the second Rashi is saying is that people were saying it, and that's important. Because Yaakov on his own, I'm saying, I don't know if Yaakov on his own would have done such a thing. It's because it's like the the word, the talk of the talk of the town. Vader? Yes. How does Rachel's giving Bilhah to Yaakov in order to raise children play in? It, it, it would seem that 
if people saw that she did that, it means that she is interested and, and the two of them as a couple are interested in her being somebody who raises children and not simply a right wife who's there for Tashmish. No, no, I thought of that. Good question. I don't know. It could be it helped. Could be it helped. And maybe that's why maybe Uncle didn't have to divorce her sooner. But I don't know if it ultimately depends. You know, these things are a lot about perception. But it does help. And maybe we'll get to that in a little bit when we get to the... Um, maybe we'll get back to that. But I think it definitely helps. But it doesn't necessarily solve the problem. But it does point in that direction. You're right. But I don't know. Maybe there's something more to say about that. I know. They crossed my mind, but I didn't get the chance to develop it further. Maybe, maybe you could... I could see that. I could see that being worse. It shows that she's going to have another surrogate. Yeah. She doesn't have to participate. I mean, Yaakov's taking more wives. Yeah. Well, yeah. Now, you know, somebody else will be pregnant. Yeah, right. Yes. And look, in a sense, he may be more of a womanizer. He has four wives. I mean, in some sense, it helps. But in other sense, it becomes, it could look, uh, be spun the other way. Yeah. All right. Yeah. It, it reminds me of, um, this is like a whole different uh, discussion, but I just want to quickly reference it because it was a very nice thing Rabbi once said, is this question was, how, do, how did Avram understand that Kedah? What did he understand that? What was he supposed to do? Why was he shuffling? Why in the world would he be killing Yitzhak? Right? Was, is it just totally just a nonsensical thing that he just had a, Seems like nonsense, but Hashem says, don't I have to do it? Or was there some way that he can make sense of it? So Rebbe wanted to say, and it's based on a medrash, which is that the Satan, it says that uh, Satan was pining, that Ya Avram Avinu doesn't bring anything to Gosh right? He barely brought one carbon or not even on and on at that point, right? So it says, so Rebbe wanted to say is that, that Ya Avram, the mes- message is about the Zara is fake and it's make-believe. And you guys are all offering up your kids and this and, uh, and all these things you're doing, you're offering to your gods, but it's all make-believe. It's just a fantasy world. You're just making this stuff up. But there's one taina that anyone can have in Abraham that would undermine his entire mission, which is that you really are weak and you're unable to give anything. You're not a philosopher. You're just weak that you're unable to give your child. You're unable to give your food. You're unable to give anything. And the way you justify your inability to give up anything to, to God, to the gods, is to say it's make-believe. But it's not really that you're a philosopher. You just are uh, stingy, and you're not willing to give anything. And if that message, that story would get out there, then that would undermine Avram's mission. Because it basically, it's like a, it's a character attack, which undermines everything he stands for. He's saying is it was fake, and they say you're a faker, because you're just not willing to give anything. So he understood the Sivoy of Lakeda that if he is Shach Yitzchak, then that would show everybody that he is willing. It's just that he hasn't done it until this point because he just can't make this stuff up. And he lived a whole life of not doing it because it was make-believe and you're just making up your Sivoy. But now that Hashem commanded him, he's willing to do it. And that would shut up the naysayers who said that Yavron was weak. So that, that wasn't, didn't end up happening. And therefore, that kid ended up having a different objective. But that was Rabbi's interpretation, which is in line with that madras, which is that's why, like how Abraham understood the Akedah at that point. My, my point is, my connection here is, is that in the, according to that pshat, Yitzchak would have been a sacrifice because the mission of Abraham Avinu would not have been able to be continued with, without that kind of happening. And that, that was why he interpreted it.
And I'm saying similarly, and I would write Yitzchak. That's uh, necessary. That's the way I've understood it, that it was necessary because Hashem. So I'm saying similarly here is that Rachel may have had to have been a sacrifice, not to be killed, but to be divorced, because of the fact that with her in that position, without any kids, would convey an idea which would be antithetical to the others, to the whole mission. And as such, Yaakov would have no choice but to do it. And as such, when she finally had a kid, she says, Hashem has hidden away my, my disgrace. Because now that she has a kid, the whole thing is off. Now it's not going to work that way. Now you see, she is, apparently she didn't drink that potion. Apparently she is trying to have kids. And she just hasn't been successful until this point. But you see, she's not barren. She's not, she hasn't become made sterile. But now she's also, she just has last kids. So Rachel has many, Leia has many kids, and she has one kid, right? So that, that's what it's saying. That removes the Dekherpa. Dekherpa is that if she's worried, people are saying this, and they're not going to say that anymore. It doesn't convey that anymore. Now it's just, uh, look, some, some people have a lot of kids, some people have less kids. So that's what's her Shabbat to Hashem, that through giving her a kid, she removed her Dekherpa. The plain shot of Dekherpa is that she's barren, which is also true. That's a Dekherpa. That's a disgrace. But this Dekherpa had a much more you know, deep problem with it, which is that it could have led to her ultimate divorce. Now, you might ask, even if she were divorced, why would she uh, marry Esau? Right? That's that other question. Strange. Right? But um, before I get there, so does anyone have any question on that before we take that up? Any question, comment? Uh, I just want to make sure we circle back around to why Yaakov was crying. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, yeah, that's much later, but yeah. That's a shot. If may, maybe to just answer Ari's question about um, why she gave uh, Billa. Yes. Maybe like Rashi there says, the Taylor da Berkai. Rashi says like the Tirgavana Arbi. So like uh, like you were saying before, like one of the things with the woman who's just for Tashmish is like, she's not just, besides she doesn't get pregnant, she doesn't like raise children. The idea with Billa was like those children were going to be Rachel's children. She was going to raise them. She's going to be taking care of them. And they're going to be following after her. So she's going to be associated as the woman who's raising children, taking care of children. So it doesn't solve it entirely. She's not getting pregnant, but it does change the perception of who she is, that she's raising children, dealing with them. Yes. But that was Moshe's question is why. Yeah, I I agree with that. But that Moshe's question is why wouldn't that solve the problem? Oh, entirely. you mean? Yeah, right. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. That was, that was implicit in Moshe's question, right, Moshe? Yeah, correct. That's, that's basically what I was asking. Yeah, like that—that that in itself should be enough. Yeah. Right, and I'm just saying is, well, that's true. It does. It does. It could. It could solve that, but you know, the naysayers might still say, uh, you know. Uh, yeah. Just on that point, like I think one. Uh, Rachel uses the same terminology that Sarah uses when she gives Hagar, and we see that Yishmal was not specifically considered Sarah's son. So it, whatever that thing is, I will be built up through her. Um, it seems like it was somewhat negotiable. And I think a lot of what you're highlighting in terms of that she was beautiful and she was the one that he loved and that she was cared for, like it's starting to look like the practice of Lamech. Yeah, right. Yes. 
Yeah. By, by the way, while, while we're at it, I mean, while you're asking, I might as well just mention this. So uh, that's what I think is that maybe that's uh, that's why when Yaakov first saw her and seemingly fell for her, is it could be when he kissed her, he knew right then and there that this might not be a marriage which is going to be eternalized in the memories of Chayso. Is when when you this the the one might look at the story of Yaakov and Rachel as a story of love at first sight and a romantic story that he fell in love and he lifted the rock off the thing for her and that's it and lived happily ever after. And when you go to Mars Machpelot, that's not what you want to be thinking about. You want to be thinking about Leah building Klal Yisrael, raising the Shvatim, the Imam, the Shifteka. And it could be that at the moment when Yaakov saw her, as much as he loved her at that very moment, and she was beautiful, he was excited and he was happy and he kissed her, but he cried. Because he had a Ruach HaKodesh, means he had an insight. Uh, this might not be great. This is great personally, but this might not be great for, for the future of Kali Yisrael. And maybe she's, for her to be buried with him, perhaps isn't going to fly very well in the minds of people. When we go to Mars Machpelah, that may not be the right image that we want to be thinking about. So uh, we'll, maybe we'll get back to that a little bit more. But Right away, he had that insight that this there's something great about this marriage, but at the same time, there's something which is not great about this marriage. And that's what it could be. He sensed that at the moment. It was a, it was a bittersweet moment. He kissed her, but he was crying. Yeah. So, Rabbi Feder, I, I just have a, a separate question. I don't, I don't have it exactly formulated, okay. but the, the um, point where Rachel is asking him to daven for her and he basically, you know, I guess rejects it, at least not not in a complete way. He, he doesn't agree. Right. So is that a question on what you're saying? Because really, it sounds like from what you're saying, there really was a purpose for him at that point, maybe not to have kids per se, that he didn't, you know, as if he didn't have kids. But there certainly was a motivation for his image to, you know, to, to dive in and, and change the situation right then. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so, so it could be that, I hear your question, uh, so it could be that, see, he was responding to her, he was responding to her, and the, the, the Ramban interprets is that her request, Havali Banim, right, she was like, um, let me get his lush on it, it's very interesting, it said that, um, that she was basically saying, I can't, I'm going to die like this. I can't handle it. But um, she was jealous of her, um, you know, of, uh, of Leah, who had the kids. And he wanted basically to that. She thought that because Yaakov loved her so much, he would like wear sackcloth and ashes and daven that she wouldn't die in her tzar. And it says, and since she spoke in a derech gague hanashim ha'ohavos, she spoke in a manner of like a woman who's in love, like a romantic appeal, like a guam. I don't know exactly how to translate guam, but it's like a like a childish or like a romantic appeal. It was like a childish emotional appeal of like a woman in love saying, I'm going to die if you don't daven for me. So she was like appealing to the love. You, how could, I'm going to, how could the, we need to have kids? Right? We need to have kids. This is important for us. We love each other. And she utilized that to try to manipulate Yaakov 
to daven on her, on her behalf. And that was Yaakov's put her in her place. And she's saying, no, that's not true. You should know I do have kids. And while it's true for our romantic relationship and all that, it would be great. But uh, more primary to me, my main objective is to be a building Kaisal. And I am able to build Kaisal. And even if they would have to divorce you, and even if you'd end up dying because of the sorrow, my main objective in, in this uh, marriage is being able to be And I am able to be And don't utilize the romantic appeal to be able to get me to daven in a way which is to make it more tragic than it is. It's not as tragic as you're casting it. It might be tragic in terms of your in terms of the love. It's very tragic. And maybe even you'd have to get divorced. But that's getting divorced isn't the same thing as not having children. Like, see, his father, Yitzchak, didn't have kids. If he didn't have kids, he wouldn't be able to build a nation. But if Rachel doesn't have kids, Yaakov Meinu is still able to build a nation. Even if it's not through Rachel, it's through Leah. But that was what he was enunciating to her, is that this is an issue more for you than for me. You want to be involved in, first of all, in the marriage, and you want to be involved in being Mama the Shvatim. So you have to align yourself with the proper objective here. First of all, there's an asymmetry here. I have kids, you don't. And you have to be thinking about it in that framework. And then sure enough, she responded and says, you're right. So I'm going to build from Bella. And that was exactly when she offered up Bella. She realized that she was too much involved in the romantic view. And instead, she says, I want to be building Kali Yisrael. And at the very least, I could be building Kali Yisrael through Bella. And I'll raise them and I'll take care of them. As the reason was saying, I'll be building through them. And that was... Could be that was the Musar Yaakov was giving her, which caused her to shift her focus a little bit and to appreciate the value of building Klai Yisrael and not necessarily in the romantic way. Not as romantic when it's through another woman, but at the same time, it, it's secondarily involved in the objective of building uh, Klai Yisrael. So his response to her was not that it doesn't mean anything for him, and that Joey, to answer your point, it does mean something to him. He may have to divorce her. Okay. If that happens, so be it. It doesn't jeopardize his mission, although it does jeopardize his emotional happiness. And it's a joy to be married to the Rafa that we love. And not just the emotional, but she was a kiss. I'm sure they uh, grew together. But still, his primary objective is still intact, which, which Yitzchak did not have. Yitzchak only had one life and was only going to have one life. And therefore, when he had a daven, that was, that was a different type of a situation, different type of desperation. But now it's his Musrata. Rabbi Feda. Yeah. You, you see, even after the shuva by Billa, she still had to go further and uh, with the design. Yeah. See, she still had to, she still had to give up that she was the special um, uh, wife that was the first picked and loved. And, uh, you know, she was no different than uh, Leah. She yeah. Even that wasn't enough shuva. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So now that you bring that up, why don't we, we talk about that a little bit? So, um, so the Dudayim, so it's interesting. So the Dudayim, what happened soon thereafter? So the Dudayim, so, so what's the whole dialogue there, right? So she got these Dudayim from her uh, son, from uh, Ruben. So Rachel said, give me some of these Dudayim. So the question is, what was the, uh, what was the big deal? Why she wanted to die? And then Rachel Lael said, you took my husband and now you're taking my Dudayim. And what's the whole, you know, back and forth. So, so perhaps the pshat is that that 
Leah didn't have the love of the husband. Right? She didn't have that. Rachel did. Leah had her, joy, her children. On an emotional level, what Leah had was she had her children. She had her sons. And her sons brought her flowers and whatever, you know. They, 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 that catered to her on an emotional level. Her maternal instinct was satisfied and she had kids. And that was, she's able to gain an emotional satisfaction, which she not, did not gain through her husband, through her children. And Rachel did not have the emotional satisfaction through, uh, through children, but she had, uh, she had a relationship with Yaakov Avina, right? Yaakov Avda. So when Rachel felt that she was missing out on, on this emotional, parental, you know, child-child type of doting, you know, thing, giving flowers, do art projects, whatever, that type of thing. And Rachel wanted to partake as well. She wanted to partake. She wanted to vicariously, you know, vicariously partake of, um, to, through having those flowers of her nephew, right? Her nephew of her. Or her sisters, yeah, I guess, or her nephew, or her half son, or whatever it is, right? So, uh, so she wanted to partake of that through having the flowers in her house. And Leah is saying, "You have the husband. You have the love of the husband that you wanted. This is all I've got emotionally. Now you want to take that from me? That's a, come on, that's not right. Right? This is my one area where I'm able to have this joy, and now you're trying to infringe on that as well." So Rachel says, okay, you're right, I hear you. So I'll give you, I'll trade you a night of the husband, because that's your spina, that you're missing out. I've got a monopoly, so to speak, on Yaakov's time and attention. So I'll give you some of Yaakov's attention in lieu of you give me these flowers and I'll be able to partake of that. We'll make a little trade. So, and that's what they did. But see, that was a mistake. That's what Rashi says, is that that was a mistake on, on Rachel's part. Because it conveys that idea that she looks at her relationship with Yaakov Avinu as like a, a, a just purely like an emotional uh, a vehicle of her emotional satisfaction, which is akin to her flowers, childish flowers. So it's like they're they're li- it's a like kind exchange, one emotional benefit for another emotional benefit. But that's not the benefit of being with Yaakov Avinu. The benefit of being with Yaakov Avinu is the ability to be mamed to be able to have the shvatim. You shouldn't be able to exchange a night, an opportunity to have children and to build Yisrael for flowers, a mere emotional uh, benefit. That's uh, they shouldn't be possible. The Leah, she is. She, on the contrary, she's giving up of her emotional satisfaction to be able to have another shot at being able to have a kid. And sure enough, she was Ocha because of that. She was Ocha to have uh, on that very night. Chazal say she had Yisachar. That was the Schartar. But see, for Rachel, this was another slip-up, in a sense, which Rashi says is, was, it was caused to her, because of this, she wasn't able to be buried with him, because she was nizazel in the sleeping of the tzaddik, which is, again, it could be in line with that other point earlier, which is the initial intuition he had is that this marriage may not be perceived as one of total building building Yisrael, but might be looked at as like a love affair. This idea of swapping flowers, swapping being with Yaakov for flowers, it could be, you know, corroborates that idea. And because of that, she could be, she wasn't Zoha. If she would do everything to undermine that idea that it was about the love and it was totally about building Kali Israel, that was her main focus, then it could be she would have been Zoha. 
but because she acted out and acted in line with that idea of treating it as a mere tool of emotional satisfaction and swapping it for the flowers, that furthered the point that she wasn't Zohatsu. This marriage was not going to be eternalized. The marriage which is eternalized is that of Leah, which is someone who's totally committed towards being able to be my instructor and every opportunity possible she's taken, she's giving up everything to be able to be with Yaakov, to be able to build a Shvatim. And that's what we think about when we go and we see Narasafela and we see Yaakov and we see Leah and we think about the Mahmoud Yeah, so uh, Laz, I'm not sure where you were headed with that, but. Um... Yeah, well, um, I just want to give you a Yashikach, uh, Robert Feder. I happened to uh, have uh, talked with Rebbe yesterday on Shabbos. And that exact same idea that um, uh, Rachel put a value on the time with the tzaddik was exactly what he said. That was the Isser. It was an Isser to put a value on the Dedoin, to put a value on the time with the tzaddik. It, it's, it's invaluable. You can't right. calculate the value of the tzaddik. It's exactly what you said. It's exactly what Rebbe said. I just want you to know that. Yeah, maybe I heard it from him a number of years ago, in all fairness. Who knows? You know. <laughs> I heard it yesterday, so that was good. <laughs> Together. So you're 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 going um with the idea that these Sudan were not for fertility's sake, that she did not have a higher purpose yeah, no. of fertility. Yeah, Rashi doesn't say that. And other professionals say that. Rashi doesn't say that. I mean they smell good. He says they smell good. So they smell good what to be attractive to Yaakov. But, you know, that's, that's another... Yeah, no, he just says, Sigli, Asa, Yeah, he doesn't say it. Yeah, I'm sorry? Yeah. Yeah, just to answer the last point, it would hard to be say that it was a an aphrodisiac if she's giving up Yaakov for it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, look, there are other ways to learn. I mean, there are Mepharshim who learn that way. I mean, as we learned that, so a few people learn that way. But um, Rashi doesn't say that. So that's why I'm, I'm, I'm going with Rashi. He's not learning that way. So I'm interpreting it in line with uh, the way Rashi is. So Rashi is the one who's saying that it's because of this, that she's not being Zohar to be buried with him. So I'm, I'm sticking with it, Rashi. Yeah. Well, you could still, you could, you could still say that and still say that she put a value an inappropriate value, even for that, it's still an inappropriate value to trade Yaakov for. But uh, I hear I hear yeah. yeah, look, you could. I'm just saying, uh, I, since I'm learning Rashi, I don't know, you know, if Rashi said that, maybe I'd try to, you know, see if I could work it out. But I'm just, um, I'm, I'm just not thinking. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, are you learning that there was, like, ever a process of tshuva or something in terms of Rachel and Yaakov in this relationship, or is this just what characterized it and it never really? Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe. No, I mean, I'd say there's there's like two trends going on here. And I mean, she did. I mean, she did. It seems like there was when she took Villa afterwards. Right. At the same time, it sounds like she did slip up again later. Right, that's the problem, exactly. Like the order, the Dudaim story is after that. Like you would like to learn that that was like where she rectified it, but then the next story is this yeah. Dudaim story. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I mean, it seems like this was, she was grappling with it. I don't know, it seems like it doesn't ultimately solve. 
Right. And Vayiskar Lakim as Rachel, it doesn't really mention that she rectified it. It's more yeah. like. Yeah, that's true. It's more because of the fact that she was going to be uh, divorced or, you know, and. Right. And, and she had because of the, of the simonim. It doesn't say there's a chus of the rectifying it by giving Bila. It doesn't say that. Right. Yeah, it's true. It doesn't seem like but, ultimately she fixed that. Yeah. But, you know, even though they're, you know, one story after the next in the, in the Chumash, I mean, this was years later. It, it, I mean, doesn't it seem harsh? Like she had a lapse here, a lapse there. Like, is there some reason why she's held so responsible for this, that she has such an ownership that she can't be with, you know, buried with Yaakov? I mean, it's not a personal ownership. It's the question is, is what is going to be best for Kali Yisrael with Dori Doros? And what are we going to learn from? Leo or Rachel? So that's the most appropriate, you know, wife, even though Yaakov loved Rachel more, while that's great, that on the contrary has the capacity to uh, to create a negative uh, association, which is not the association we should be thinking of when we go to Masmachbela. So it's not a matter of, it's what's, it's not personal, it's a matter of what's best for the sake of the future of Kaisro. And she wasn't Zohet to that, because Le- Leia would be a better vehicle of that. Unfortunately, people remember. I mean, these are things which are part of the image and part of the way people uh, people are remembered or by small slip-ups. What? Can I ask, right there, I'm sorry if I'm interrupting, yeah. but can I, what, what, why is that a, a punishment at all, who you're buried next to? What does it matter? I mean, in terms of cholesterol, I guess it matters because that's what we go we think of. In terms of the person, Yes. What, yeah. I mean, you're not, you're dead. Yes, but these people, um, you know, they were, were thinking about the future and their role in the future of being part of the Klaistral, building Klaistral. That was what they were concerned about. So, oh, so, that, so they were only concerned about how it would look. So they didn't, it wasn't a personal, like, I want to be buried next to my type of a thing. It was a yeah. Yes, but, uh, yes. Yeah, that's an, that's an interesting discussion. But, like, uh, I don't want to go down that path, but uh, it's interesting. Uh, we could argue that one out. I'm not sure. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, but it, it's a good question. Something to think about. Yeah. All right. So let's go now to um, to the, the further in the Pioneer, Pioneer original thing, okay, original story. So the names, right? So, so far we have um, back to Impassive Chavdalad and Chavdalad, Lamed Chavdalad. So the first name was Asafelikemeskar, but the first reason, the first cause of this name Yosef was Asafelikemeskar Pasi. That's the first thing she said is that Hashem gathered in my disgrace, right? Yeah, oh, I'm sorry, hid, hid, hid my disgrace, right? Hid my disgrace. Oh, sorry, I didn't address. So why is it saying, oh, a few questions here, I'm sorry. Uh, we left with a problem about Esau, right? So why would Esau, uh, why would she marry Esau, right? So this is what I was thinking. I don't know. You could see if you could do something better than this. But um, is, is assuming that Yaakov would divorce her, right? Assuming Yaakov would divorce her. So then the question is, who is she going to marry, right? So Esau was a Rasha, true. But... He came from a good family. He's from his father was Yitzchak, his grandfather was Avram. And who else is she going to marry? So who else is she going to marry? The Canaanim. You see, for example, Avram didn't want to make sure that Yitzchak wouldn't marry anyone from the Canaanim. It seems like they were, there's an idea of going to this home and to this family. 
So while it's true as an individual, Asa was the Rasha, but at the same time, she still could be in the base of Ram, and she could still be involved in um, in learning from Avram and from Yitzhak, and maybe even from Yaakov, and she's not going to leave the philosophy in the household, and Asa as an individual was a Rasha. But just because, like, for example, Lavan was a Rasha, but at the same time, is, uh, he had Rachel and Laya, and Bisuel was a Rasha, but he had Rivka. So you see, just because person's a Rasha, but they're in the, still Avraham selected that house, even though he knew they were Rasha in the house. So um, it, it could just be that who else are you going to take? Because there wasn't, there was a Shidduch crisis for people um, from that, for these, these people, and it wasn't so easy to get a good guy. So I don't know, maybe it just, that's what she knew. Ultimately, if she did get divorced from Yaakov, the far second place, very far, it would be a terrible far, but ultimately maybe she would end up with Esau, which is terrible. But at the same time, that's what she was thinking about. Who would she go to? And Esau, it could be, would want her because she's beautiful and she doesn't have kids and all that, but what's she going to do? I mean, at least it's her ability to be maintained, to stay in the base of the base of Ram. And it's like, I don't know. So, wasn't yeah. the idea later of Dina possibly marrying Asaph? Yeah, like maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, right. That's also, as I'll say, that Yaakov made a mistake by hiding Dina in the box because maybe Yaakov, Dina would have been able to help uh, be Makar of Asaph. So maybe Rachel would have done that also. Maybe Rachel would have done that also. Look, Asaph had great potential. Yitzchak, for example, thought he was, uh, was a good guy. He was true. He was a sort of, uh, you know, very physical, but at the same time, Apparently, he had potential to be uh, to use the clear properly. So he has got great potential. He comes from a great house. Maybe he would even be able to be uh, to become the to, to be and He'd be good, even if he wouldn't. Doesn't mean she can't be married to Russia and be a tzaddika. You know. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, that's interesting in its own right. That whole Dina thing, but uh, fascinating that you know that he's that Chazal criticizing for that. You know, to offer the but so that's Chazal say. Yeah. Okay, good. Good. So now, so now what happened? So give me a second. So, so that was, so that was also looking at Skarpasi, right? That, um, the Gashem now removed her chapa. Oh, so now the question is, so why does it say that he hid my chapa? Why not say that he removed her disgrace? Right? Why do you say now she's not barren? Now she has a kid. Now she's not going to be divorced. Now she's going to stay married to Yaakov. And that's it. It's all over. It's history. So I think you just say, just a shot, is that it's not so simple. Psyche, psychology isn't that so simple. This is traumatic for her. After all, Rachel is a tzaddik. His whole life is devoted to trying to build Yisrael. And she's marrying Yaakov Avinu. And here it is, the world is saying about her that she is the wife of uh, the pleasure wife, the wife who belongs with Esau. And this is the word on the street. The cherpa, the disgrace which that causes for her, you can't just remove that by having a kid. It doesn't disappear. It's hidden away, and people aren't talking about it. But the the emotional pain and suffering which that impacted her is something which doesn't disappear. And her shavach Hashem is realistic. It's not pretending like the pain disappears. But the trauma still has an impact on her. But at least it's hidden away. And that's our Shabbat Hashem, is that it's the best you can hope for at that point. There's also the Likim Karpasi. I know this will allow the pain and suffering to be hidden. It's still going to be there deep in the recesses of our psyche. 
she was going to suffer with it and it wasn't going to disappear. Like a person who's abused in any which way, I mean, people abuse a person, these things don't just disappear, but at the same time, it rectifies it to an extent. And that was her shadow. But but her, rubbish. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just, uh, uh, to continue along the lines of that idea, um, even if she has one child, the contraceptives of the time were probably not foolproof. And so it gets rid of that shame a little bit. The people could still say, okay, she was, she was the pleasure wife, but there was an accident that happened and she's still the pleasure wife. So another son would be proof that she's really not. So that's why she also was asking for another son right. because not, not all of the harpa was removed by having one child. Oh, I see. I see. Okay, you could say that. I'm not, I'm not sure if it's a contraceptive as much as it made her stop, but I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. So then, what's her tefillah? Her tefillah is Yosef Hashem li ben Acher, right? Let Hashem increase for me another son. So, so first, uh, I just like to explain it first according to the Radak, and uh, which is that he's saying is it means at least one more son. Okay, and then I think Rashi is in a similar ballpark, but um, I just want to start with the Radak. So, so it could be her point is like this: is that what's her tefillah? See, she's giving Sheva and, and, and making of Akasha. And the name Yosef reflects her praise about the past of Asadukim Skarpasi, Sheva, and Akasha about the future. And that was like her dual attitude here. And it could be is that, see, Yosef to her represented the removal of her suffering. But the removal of suffering isn't the same thing as like a positive attachment to building the shvatim. And it could be she knew psychologically because of her pain and suffering and acherpa, the way she viewed Yosef was as a vehicle of removing a negative. But she wanted to be able to have another kid to be able to attach herself to the positive role of being my mitzvah taker. It's like she couldn't but help it that her primary emotional way that she relates to Yosef is just the per, on the personal level, the removal of her pain and suffering because her suffering was so extreme and so stark that that's the way she thinks about Yosef is the child who is also following who's removing my disgrace. But Yosef Hashem Li Ben Acher means I want to be able to have more children, at least one, be able to engage in building Yisrael not just in removing my kharpa. It's like the pain was so great that she wasn't able to focus so much on the positive as much as removing the, the total suffering and disgrace which she had. And she felt that another child would give her the opportunity, at least one more child, the more the better, but at least one more child would allow her to engage her energy in him in like in a positive way. And her, her dreams of, of having this other child would be to be able to be, she'd be thinking more about building Klai Yisrael and less about removing her chepa. Her chepa is gone. For now, she's avoiding the negative. But she wanted to be able to be engaged in building Klai Yisrael in a positive way. And that's, could be Rashi's point to do that, that she was, the Bena Acher was the, the Sheva. There was only one Sheva available. But I'm saying the idea of, she's more the Tefillah is, it's like a shevach about the past, but a request about the future. Because she realized, while there's a shevach about Asadokim Azkarpasi, there's something sad about it, which is that that's the way she's thinking about Yosef. 
and she's not able to think about Yosef fully as the vehicle of building Yisrael because of her immense pain which Yosef is enabled removing from. And therefore she's seeking to be able to, to get her out of overcoming her, tra- her, her disgrace and go direct her in a positive path towards the heaven building Yisrael. But as tragic as it happened, she did have that one more child, but she did not get a chance to live to enjoy him in that way. And sure enough, in the next parsha, this is coming to this parsha, she had been Yaman, but she was the she was Ben Oni. That she basically died, she died in childbirth. And the Pasik said, it's interesting there. The Pasik, give me a second, I've got the that's in Perak um Mamid Zion. So when she did have that child, it's interesting, they said. It says, um, when she was having uh, difficulty giving birth, Altiri, don't be afraid. This is also for you, son. The Rashi says, What's Gamze Lachmen? This is also. What's also? It says, No Safachal Yosef, in addition to Yosef. Right? So it could be that was her thing. She wanted to have another son besides Yosef because she knew that was Yosef was. The and she was dreaming to be able to have another son who was in addition to Yosef, who was going to be able to be a positive, be a direct her energy towards a positive. And that's what they said. Don't be afraid. This is a son for you. But sure enough, as she heard that, and I'm sure that was comforting to her, but at the same time, she died right then. And that was part of the tragedy, is that she was not able to fully engage in building the Shvatim. That was her original plan and what she wanted from Yaakov Avinu. But the situation of her life ended up that even her childhood she did have, it was also the And when she finally had another kid, which she was able to, in theory, be able to focus her attachment on raising him and being mad at him as the Shvatim, she died and wasn't able to raise him. So I'm sure Yosef, she did bring him up in that way. But it, it could be that the name, it, is like characterizing the primary way which she's relating to Yosef, which is on the Asalakimanskarpasi. And that's what she was seeking out in having Binyamin, which is being able to direct her in that other path, which unfortunately she was never able to um, actualize personally. And um, she she and that's what I was saying is like the tragic life of you get a sense of all these things put together is in a certain sense, as great of a tzaddik as she was, and you see her ultimate, the whole, this whole thing in a sense was brought on by herself of giving me some on Galea, but she ended up really having a tra- very painful life, very painful life and very painful death. And she ended up being, as in this is a, a bigger real part of a big discussion, but when Kaiso went down to Galas, we, Rachel Novak Albanau, and, um, she became like a, a token, uh, an idea of Vartan um, Chumen, that when we go down to Golas, we think about Rachel and we think about her tragic life and the fact that, and she says, um, she says that there will, um, Yisachel Kulasech, I'm sorry, there's an interesting Rashi there, in um, Chas Zion, but it says that, um, I don't know, Chas Zion, so uh, in a second. Yeah. 
Basically, Hashem says, So it means that when they go down to, to Galas, when they're leaving Atsyon, they go into Galas, they see Rachel. And it could be that she's like a symbol of, the, of a person who has a very painful life and has suffered like we're about to suffer going down to Galas, but at the same time, she is one of the Imaos and she still had a relationship with the Kodesh Baruch Hu, and she's still Rachel Imena. So it could be that she was like an inspiration to Kaiser going down to Galas as we think we're about to embark on a painful trek down to Galas. We don't know how it's going to happen. But even though we could have a painful life of suffering, like Rachel did, it doesn't mean we're Marukha from the Kodesh Baruch Hu. And it could be that's what our place in the in the eternal memories of Kaiser is not alongside of Yaakov, but is on our way down to Galas. And she's her tragic life, her painful life, serves as an inspiration for us uh, on our way to uh, on our way to Galas, of of how you could even have a painful life and still be Karbanshan and still be uh, one of the imams. But that's you know on a personal level, her life was it was very tragic. Yeah. So there's more to talk about about that whole Rachel thing. The last thing. As I think I once gave a share about it a number of years ago. Someone's to, uh, to reference it, but it's, you know, well, I'm just touching on it. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Any, um, any other questions or comments? All right, Vader. Yeah. Um, I have uh, two questions. One is, um, Ultimately, though, the reason that Rachel uh, didn't get buried in Rachel Marshall is because she stole this, the idol and, um, and Yaakov cursed whoever stole it. I think that's related to this aspect of it. I'll say that. I mean, that's why she died. Right? Uh, but does it say that's why she didn't get buried in Marshall Marshall? I don't, I don't know about that. I, I'm not sure. Maybe they could have just taken her and still buried her? Or that yeah, right. On the road? Oh, because she died there, you mean? Yeah, I mean, yeah. yes. But um, that's what Rashi, that's what he says. He says, I didn't bring her even to, yeah, in theory it could have, uh, I don't know. It doesn't directly connect. I hear what you're saying. It's maybe practically it wasn't reasonable. Rashi says later on by um, by Echi that like when Yaakov told Yosef, like don't be upset at me for not burying Mars Machpela, Ruach HaKodesh told me not to, not to bury her there, but to bury in Beis Lacham. Oh yeah, right, right. He does say, Bechavah, Bechavah. Yeah, right. It's true. Don't say that it wasn't, it's not true. I mean, it was Asa Great. It was a time where it really was dry, and I could have done it. Right, uh, right, right. I could have brought her there, but the only reason I didn't is because Hashem said so, because of this whole thing of um, because of the thing of the Gallus thing I was mentioning before. It wasn't because of that. That alone would have. Uh, she still could have been there. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And, and my other question was uh, it's a general question on, on all, all the names. Uh, what's, what's the idea about naming your kids based on stuff Mommy, that you're going through in your own life? What do you want in your side ball? Go get now. Yeah. Um, what's the idea of naming the kids that way? I mean, it could be is that there's idea. I don't know. It's a good question. But I mean, on one level, there are ideas which the child represents and you want to eternalize those ideas and think about those ideas for herself and for the cholesterol going forward. You know, the ideas which are ideas which are eternalized through ideas about Ashkacha, about a person's life which are eternalized through um, 
through the experiences which uh, the parents have in their raising, uh, you know, having uh, having kids, something like that. I don't know, you know. Yeah, it, it seems that they're like kind of more like a your own personal hangups and issues, <laughs> like you know. Well, it seems like it's. Yeah, I guess it's a it's a bigger bigger question. I don't know. You know, I mean, not just hangups. I mean, they're issues, they're ideas. They're, you know, we are designed, we should learn from the lives of the Avos and the Imaos. And if their name is expressing an idea which they were struggling with, or they're, for, you know, which is vital to their Avos and Sashem, so then they internalize that, and that's something that we can learn from. So they knew that they were, these names were going to be the future of Israel, And they're, you know, the, we should identify with the strivings of Laya and of Rachel and of, you know, this is the real people who we learn from and their experiences, which are connected to their Vodas Hashem and Nashkacha, which is to them and all those things. So uh, they're eternalized and this way it helps uh, them serve as models for us. Yeah. But, you know, it's a good question. Sarachim, to develop that further. It'd be interesting. But, my favorite, were you going to take up the other shot in Rashi about the, um, you know, that there's a child gets a few breaks before somebody could bring it okay, Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I can't really relate that to this in any way at all, but I do have a shot about it. So, I don't know, maybe someone could connect it together. But that idea of that you know, the, kid, the mother blames her child for um, the stuff which happens, right? So, I thought like this maybe the shot is that. See, the role of a mother, I'm sorry, of a wife without children. He's like, what was the role? What was Rachel's role in, in, the, in the home at that time? Or any woman, you know, I guess nowadays things are a little bit different, but to go back in the time, so uh, when women weren't out of the home, the role of a woman who doesn't have children is entirely to be a homemaker. That's what she does. She's at home. She takes care of the house. She runs the food in the house. She makes sure everything is taken care of. Now, that role is, I'd say, a very underappreciated role. It's like an un, under underappreciated. People don't give her credit. Why? Because the, in a certain sense, the, the success of that, call it housewife, her success is that nothing goes wrong. Okay. The sense is that everything is perfect in order. She doesn't spill anything. She cleans everything. Nothing's, nothing's broken. It's like the, 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 the job is to make sure things run smoothly. And so certain, people, certain jobs are like this in the world. Certain jobs are such where your job is you're not noticed because your job is to make sure nothing goes wrong. That type of a job is unrewarding and underappreciated because things always do go wrong. And invariably, and when they go wrong, they say, "Oh, who broke the thing? Who spilled the thing? Who ate the tainum? Right?" And she, it's our fault, ultimately. But she has a hundred things to do, and if she does all hundred of them perfectly right, then no one notices it. But if she does one of them wrong, and no one says thank you for the other ninety-nine, they just say, "Who broke that one thing?" So it's like there's a certain cherpa of the role of a woman whose uh, whose whose role in the home is to so to speak, merely take care of the, again, I'm saying merely that's the way it's perceived. Just all you're doing, what are you doing all day? Just just taking care of the home, that's it. But it's like, it, it per, it's perceived that way. But obviously, of course, there's, there's tons which go into it. And it's, but it's a type of a role which leads to the kharba. But when a woman has a child, she's now viewed 
guess by her husband, her role in the home now becomes to raise a child. And raising a child, no mother is expected to have a perfectly clean home. It's impossible. The kid is going to break things. The kid is going to eat the dates. The kid is going to whatever. It's just not, it's not reasonable. And she's not judged up against the standard of having a perfectly tidy, clean home. It's just not reasonable. On the contrary, she's judged. You come home, they say, oh, the kid is so cute. Oh, he broke something. Okay, the kids do. It's not. So it's like the, her, her, she's now viewed insofar as she gives you nachas and then she's raising a kid and she's uh, involved in building your family. And uh, that type of, uh, and now the, the fact that she might, things happen to go wrong in the home are no longer attributed to her. They're just part of the reality of what happens when you have kids at home. And homes with kids are not, not meant to be clean and not expected to be clean. And whether she broke it, you broke it, who broke it, no one even cares. No, it's not like you're blaming the kid for your thing. It's just, that's what happens. Uh, you try to have a, a clean home with kids around. So it's like the focus now becomes on something else. Which is much more rewarding, and it could be that idea. It's a it's a drasha, but that there is besides for the plainest pshat, which is that this was very significant for Rachel, insofar as her harpa of her being an akara and marrying Esav and all that, which is obviously much more significant. But even just on a mundane level, the role of not having children is emotionally very taxing for a woman, for ways of be more than you would naturally recognize. She's giving Shavach Hashem for that as well. And now she's just in a in a place in the home which is less disgraceful and more rewarding, more appreciated. And then I'm saying it's like an additional dimension to the Shavach. It's not the plainest Pshat and it's not the primary Pshat. But when you give Shavach, you should incorporate all the different things which the Shavach brings you. And this is another, another dimension to... Uh, the benefit which she receives from now that she's able to have a kid and another difficulty which she had being that she didn't have a kid. Yeah. Maybe to try to tie that into your, uh, the shear as a whole, yeah. <laughs> just for an attempt, is it like maybe Rachel um, was trying to use in order to shift her the focus as opposed to her being perceived as like a role of just for Tashmish. She was like, tried to like make it seem like her role was taking care of the home. Like that was like an attempt of like, it's another role that a woman could have, not Tashmash, not kids, but you mm-hmm. know, but even in that framework, there's a harpa associated with it. I see. I see. You know? That's interesting. I mean, that was her attempt. But it was an attempt. She had like, she had to create like this perfect home in order that, that that's what she's doing. I see. I see. I see. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. An attempt. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. It's uh, interesting uh, that you said about uh, Rachel being the the idea of Rachel being the that we look at for Gullis because that's what our son and our grandchildren lived through. Uh, they were the ones who set up that you could have a life of Gullis and still yeah. be uh, and still be tzaddikim and 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 follow the Torah. Yeah, Yosef, Yosef yeah. and uh, Menashe and Ephraim. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Yeah, perfect. I mean, when you go to Gallus, you think of her and the pain of Gallus, but at the same time, you could thrive. And she still is a Sadekas. And her son, Yosef, Yosef Hayav Mitzrayim, the same Yosef was in the base of uh, Yaakov. He was the same Yosef who was, uh, who was the king of Mitzrayim, and he didn't lose the Sitkas in this life. Yeah, excellent. Thank you. Good point. And his two children became uh, Shvatim in a certain sense. Yes. Yeah, it's perfect. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's an area towards worth pursuing more. That whole thing with your Rachel uh, going down. Okay, Rachel thing. But yeah, that's interesting. Thank you. Yeah, okay. Anyone else? All righty, everybody. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Have a good one. Thank you. Thank you.